the Steve Dangle Podcast with your hosts, Steve Dangle, Adam Wilde, and Jesse Blake. Let's go! And with a tremendous oversight on the last show, so we're going to address it right away. But first, do want to let you know that James Murray will be on in a few minutes, so uh, we'll be talking to him about all the things, including Mark Shifley. Hooray! Mark Shifley says stuff, which, you know, sometimes... Steve, what's your, what's your rule about NHL owners? Uh, if NHL owners speak, it's bad. Always. I actually love the fact that Mark said what he said today because I think it's really good for the game. But we'll get to that in just a second. First, uh, drafted the first person ever, first female ever picked in the OHL draft. We've got a shout out to Tay Curry from Park Hill, Ontario, picked Woo! by the Sarnia Sting. He said, quote, treat me like a normal player on the team. And I, I would expect, like, why wouldn't you? Although I have to say, um, there is there's nothing normal about being the first when it's something like this. We're talking about a league with decades of history. Uh, so in that respect, obviously she would want to be treated normal. But what an accomplishment! Sorry, that was I, it was on my prep sheet last week to to get to and and I, we just didn't. So I apologize. Uh, but it's pretty spectacular and wonderful well, news and good for her. It's like the I love Lucy thing with the chocolate on the conveyor belt, and that's that's what life is. It's speeding up, and we're starting to miss chocolate yes yes 100 percent. that's a really deep cut reference but a lot yep. of people will surprisingly get it the the i feel like it's i know it's old as hell but like it's before my time but it's embedded enough in our culture that enough people know it 100%. but like um we just posted our dang it's video like an hour ago and we didn't even talk about shifley hitting evans and nope. like last week i was like we're gonna do it don't worry and then we didn't and so i'm sorry i Did have no excuse other than we forgot did we talk about the hit on this show? Yes. Yes. We yes, did. Okay. Yes, yes. Mm. Like, I, don't even know. I honestly don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. Man, I don't know. Listen, ask me in 10 years and I'll remember. You guys okay. have terrible memories anyway. I, so. I, I honestly feel like, hey, do you remember what episode where you mentioned blah, 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 blah? I'm like, did I say no. that? I don't. <laughs> I don't the know. Worst, the worst was uh, like a book signing. Someone will say like, something very odd to me and i'll just be like ha, ha, ha. and they'll be like that's you i'm like i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> they're quoting me to me and i'm like i don't remember saying that I, that's right i'm sorry anyway <laughs> shout out sarnia yeah well that, yeah and and uh and, and, and shout terrible out drive that spot that was incredible <laughs> i look forward um, to making that awful terrible drive to watch her play it is a tough drive sarnia isn't it there's just oh, yeah. not very much it's like they took a swatch of New Brunswick and just put it in Ontario. Mm -hmm. And they went, we have, they went, we have too much nothing. We need to, ex <laughs> you know, export some of our nothing. They and Ontario was like, I'll take that. And it's the road to Sarnia. <laughs> it's, it's when you, when you get through, like when you're going, if you go like around, I don't know if this is going to make sense. When you, if you go like around past Kitchener and London, like you don't go through Ontario, you just go kind of around it and down the lake, then yeah, it's just, it's a whole bunch of nothing. Well, and, and it's funny because that's lakefront property, man. That's prime yeah. real estate. There's the Adam. Hey, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Where's, where's all the, uh, where's all the big buyers now? Adam, I, mean, I think like if you tried to buy in at Lambden Shores, it's going to run you a couple million probably. Oh, maybe, maybe. Is this the yeah. Ontario version of the Californians? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, hey, did I, I told you guys that the original Mustang I was going to look at was in Sarnia, right? You did yeah. mention that. Yeah. Oh. Right. It's, it's still for sale. And I think it's only because the guys in Sarnia. 
Yeah, you're gonna have to take the 402 coming off of the uh, 401 to the 402 and hit up Sarnia. You know, take a while. Show up, and it's like, what are you doing here? We are gonna get so much shit from listeners from Sarnia. I know that, and I'm okay with that. But it is, uh, it it is a heck of a drive. It really is. Um, So I, I, I guess, I guess what we can do right now is get right into what happened with. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens and the Winnipeg Jets. And I think, you know, when you watch the series, and we kind of talked about it on the last episode, Montreal just, like, it was almost like um, you're, you're playing easy a little bit on, on uh, your, your NHL 21 game. It, it was just, they, they, they outmatched them everywhere. And Carey Price is a god in the playoffs. And, and not that Connor Hellebuck isn't great. But Connor Hellebuck has a much thinner lineup in front of him. And without Mark Shifley there, who we will get to, by the way, we are not getting to that right at this second. I want to talk about the actual game first. Um, it just seemed for Winnipeg, it was just, you're just flatly outmatched every time. They had a lot of Leaf syndrome going on in that Wheeler, I think it was Wheeler, Connor, and Ehlers combined for two points total over the four games. Like, that's not enough when Shifley's out. Your stars didn't show up. So that's right. just, that's a huge hole in your lineup when you take out one guy and then your stars don't play. And then uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois definitely looked a little injured. Like, he was, he was non-existent on defensively or offensively. So just for your top guys, the only offense you're getting is from your defensemen. Like, how are you ever going to win a game? So he's like, no, no, I wasn't injured. And so the logical conclusion is, oh, so, like, you were just kind of bad then. Like, that was – I remember that conversation about Ryan uh, Dillonstrom coming out of the 2015 OHL final because it's supposed to be this two-headed monster of McDavid. And even if you contain him, there's Dylan Strom. And against Oshawa, he was Strom was completely like ineffective. And so he got defensive though at the idea that he was hurt after the series. And so everyone's like, all right, well then you were just sort of bad then. It it felt to me like I'm not mad, but with injury. You know, it's like you were injured, but you know, you're like, I'm not injured. What are you guys talking about? I played my hardest. No, it seems like you definitely had a little thing ailing you. Um, I, I, the thing that blew me away too is uh, Nikolai Ehlers going, yeah, I felt 100%, except I had this labrum tear in my ribs. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, Ehlers. Ehlers was like, yeah, I felt 100%. And then it's come out today that he had a labrum tear in his ribs. And, and that's a trunk you know, that's a trunk muscle and that's, you're moving side to side, every skate, every time his skate touched the ice to push that comes all the way up through your body. That is going to fucking hurt. And I just, so you, you, you compare and contrast Ehlers, who's always good, always a spectacular player versus Pierre-Luc Dubois, who, you know, forced his way out of town. And the thing is, when you force your way out of town, you put yourself at a bit of a deficit because you have to perform in the next place. You're saying, I don't want to perform here anymore. Team gives up a, a lot to get you. And in Patrick Line, they sure did. And we're not even sure that you can live up to a trade like that. If Patrick Line lives up to his potential, I don't think Pierre-Luc Dubois has the ceiling that Line potentially could have, right? And then you, on top of that, weren't great this year. Just were not great at all. And I, you have to wonder what, what that's all about with Pierre-Luc Dubois. Maybe, maybe there's, you know... Uh, changing countries and everything, right? New systems, whatever. But you need more than that from that guy. Otherwise, why didn't you just hang on to line A for the rest of the year? Right. Zero goals. Seven years. Zero goals. 
every situation is unique. Um, every injury is certainly unique. And he had a unique season, a horrible, horrible start in Columbus. And this is, this is where some of the criticism about him just straight up not trying with Columbus is valid. How do you then get traded, take two weeks off because of quarantine and get your brain into trying mode? You know what I mean? And maybe he was, here I go. I'm ready to try. And he gets hurt right away because he had the two week quarantine or right. at least people factor that as, as part of it. Now, you know, how much of that is his fault? I, I don't know, but it's, uh, it's like, it's like running through snow. We've all done it. Um, it's harder when you turn around for a buddy, <laughs> Hey, you coming. And then you got to build back. You got to get speed back up again. Hmm. And, uh, and I just don't think Dubois was ever able to do it this season. He could come out and truck teams next year. It was never going to be this year. He was never right. going to get the momentum back. Um, and I, I think, you know, in Winnipeg situation, you got to think that this is the best they could have hoped for when the season started. Most people didn't have them in the playoffs. And Not if you so, ask Mark Shifley. <laughs> okay, well, again, we'll, we'll wait on Mark Shifley. Sure. Um, you know, and, and Blake Wheeler called Shifley top five player, top three player in the NHL or something like that. And it was Man. like, okay, all right. That's a good, but, that's a good teammate. Uh, that's a, exactly. Yeah. That's um, a great teammate. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, a, it's, it's certainly for, you know, the Winnipeg Jets – I, I know I know it's disappointing, but boy, I think you gotta be if you're a Jets fan, you gotta be happy with how this went. That blue line's been decimated. They lost a 40 goal score in his sleep in Patrick Line for a center that frankly just didn't perform this year. And that doesn't mean he can't, it just means he didn't. Uh, I think they did pretty damn well given what they were given. Um, you know, out of all the fan bases, Jets fans were realistic all season long. <laughs> no one hated that team more than Jets fans. <laughs> they 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 were along for the ride. They knew mm-hmm. the faults of the team. And, uh, you know, it's amazing. Like, Shifley going down, well, going down, getting suspended, Dubois underperforming. All I ever saw was how important Dylan DeMello was and, and the fact Huge. that he wasn't there. And, you know, this isn't to discredit Montreal. Um, because No, we'll get to Montreal. We'll get to yeah, Montreal. But, like, you want to you want to play teams at their best to prove you're the best. Right. But not knowing how it happens, if they were given the option of Tavares is going to play virtually none of the series and Muzzin won't play the most important parts of it. You, you take that deal with the devil. Mm-hmm. You go to the jets. All right. Shifley's out most of the series. We're not telling you how. And Dylan DeMello is out. I don't know. What was it? At least half of it. You make that deal with the devil as well. Um, it's it's the playoffs. Injuries happen, um, but man, that's uh, I'm not I'm not going to say it's fortunate for the Montreal Canadiens, but it certainly makes their ta- their their target softer. Yeah, you're you're right. talking about you're talking about uh, two guys who are number one centers on m- most teams in this league, mm-hmm. and just you don't have to deal with them. Yeah, Demello got in one game, by the way. Yeah. Uh, like, well, and I think that's going to be something that uh, Shevel Dayoff has to address this offseason. They got to do something with that defense. You know, you go from one of the strongest defenses in the league to not having any of the three guys that made it that that strong in the first place. It's pretty tough. Um, and they managed it anyway, and good for them. Second round. I mean, how do you hate that? Now, um, Jesse, you. Um, <laughs> 
you have the yeah well dude i mean we didn't get what the hell did we get um i also i I do want to say because i was sort of laughing in mark shifley on twitter today and i think rightfully so um the uh uh the the fans that reach out and go well the leafs are a bunch of losers dude you need to watch the last week of our show (laughs) we know so before we get into these quotes just you know listen to the discussion steve i saw you actually um you tweeted out the Lou Lamorello clip. Yes. That we had. Should the Leafs have kept Lou Lamorello? And a bunch of people commented, and then you wrote, has not listened to the discussion. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, you, just listen. Right. Please. Watch the video first, people. I, uh, this is, you know, my one legal punch law. Um, oh another thing I suggested a long time ago, and, um, you know, spoken to Mark Zuckerberg about it. And, and he didn't want to buy the idea. I, you got all this money, Mark. I don't know why you're being so cheap. I'll take it at Elon or something. But here's, here's my idea. If you comment on an article or a video that you have not watched yet, a boxing glove comes out of your screen, like a spring-loaded boxing glove comes out of your screen and punches you in the face. And not a Mayweather versus Paul uh, punch, a real punch. <laughs> I was texting Jesse all week trying to make that fight interesting. I was like, watch, Mayweather's taking a dive. Is what do you, what's this? There's no winner or loser. He's taking a dive. And what did I tell you? He's gonna hold them up for eight rounds. And he literally <laughs> said, I'm about to rob you. <laughs> then he robbed people after the press conference. He was like, I robbed you. And I can't wait to see who he fights next because he's just going to rob you again. He said, I made $30 million. You guys are all idiots. Yeah. I made $30 Walked million dollars off of this. <laughs> and, and people are like, he's ruining his legacy. No one's going to look at these fights in the future. They're going to look at the fights that made him Mayweather. They, they don't, no one cares about this Mayweather's celebrity bullshit. Legacy. Yeah, well, exactly. Who cares? You're 55 who? and 0. What, like, it's there. The legacy is good. Yeah. <laughs> it's the number, though. Like, it's... Like, I'm sorry, it's modern boxing. I don't care. No one cares. Right. Yeah. Th- that's why. That's why. I, who's Paul spending brothers... all this money on boxing? I need to see them. I need to meet them. <laughs> that's why the my Paul friends brothers... are ever like, did you watch that boxing match? No. Like, they have the a fuck? community. Let's not. They, have, they do. Yeah. They do. It's, it's still, a, it's, there's still it's, a fan base there. It's not what it was. It's not what right. it was. It's right. not the cultural phenomenon where it's like the world stops because Ollie or Tyson or Foreman are in a fight. Frazier. It's not that anymore. Yeah. It's, hey, it has this niche community. Tyson versus McNeely. Um, I was a kid for that. And I remember, and it was, it was like 90 seconds long. And the entire street packed into my neighbor across the street's house, who I don't even know if he paid for it. He might've got it like illegally. I don't know. <laughs> but like the whole street was in his house to watch that 90 second fight. Nice. And I remember there, oh, all the, all the stars are here. And Jim Carrey's in the audience. And he was the biggest thing in the world in the mid nineties and 90 second fight. It was a thing. Mike Tyson was a big draw. People wanted to watch Mike oh, Tyson. Oh, absolutely. Floyd Mayweather. <laughs> No one wants to watch that shit. I don't care what your record is. Boo, boring. Except for the people that paid a pile of money for it. Right. You guys both watched it. Are you kidding I, me? No, I didn't. Really? <laughs> I saw clips and I was oh. like, yep, good. I haven't even seen the clips. I was like, I just, I, I think because I'm not a huge fighting fan in the first place, I'm more of a motorsports and football kind of guy. But like, it's a, uh, I certainly, like, I just, 
I don't, I can understand the Mike Tyson thing. I would watch Mike Tyson or a boxer like him. I get it. The Jake Paul thing, Logan Paul thing. I don't, I don't really get okay. it. I don't understand. Okay. A question. When McGregor was knocking everybody out, did you check out any of those fights? I watched the one where he got knocked out for the first time. Diaz? Okay. Diaz, Diaz won. Yeah. I watched him. Diaz won. And it was spectacular. What an yeah. event. Like that was a, it was a great card. Didn't Rousey get knocked out too that, that day? It wasn't the same card. She, it was like a couple months before when right. she got I, knocked out as well. I watched that because remember she had like the eight second fight. Yeah. Like before that. She, she, like, she did it like three fuck. times in a row where she knocked yeah. out girls like in eight seconds. And I think that's what boxing the ufc stars have kind of taken over that lane in combat sports where they can create the cultural event where you get somebody who's not even interested in combat sports to at least check out a rousey fight or when gsp mm -hmm. was big or they become Anderson. real celebrities exactly yeah and i, th I think ufc has kind of taken that lane and boxing is kind of like hey we're doing the celebrity goofy thing for <laughs> i think in thriller you know <laughs> you know as much as there are thriller. question marks about how things were done i think boxing is missing a guy like don King. I mean, wrestling has, sorry, wrestling, UFC has um, Dana White. He's done a brilliant job yeah. of, of taking this sport and promoting it. And I believe he's already sold the UFC. They've just kept him on because they know whoever the company is that bought him. I think it was a Chinese the, company. The guys they, who own the Rockets, uh, Fertitta, they owned it with White and then they sold it to, yeah, I think uh, a company out of Asia. So, you know, you know and they keep Dana White. Because he's the most valuable employee in the UFC. Yeah. It's not the fighters. It's not the trainers. Not anybody else. It's, it's Dana White. And there you go. Oh, look who it is. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey Myrtle, ladies and gentlemen, James, James Myrtle joining the show. We held back on Mark Shifley until you got here, and so we ended up talking about boxing and UFC. Did you watch the fight this weekend? No, I was just towards the end of it. I was like, okay, I tried to find an illegal stream, and I was too slow, and it ended. So it's probably just as well as I didn't watch. You tried to get past the paywall. What is this? <laughs> <laughs> Garbage. It was in. It was in like the sixth or the seventh round. So I was on my phone, and it was late at night, and I was just clicking around. I was like, well, maybe I'll watch the end of this and see if he knocks him out or not. And by the time I got something working on my phone, he was. It was over. So I don't. It sounds like I didn't miss much. You didn't. No, no, did you, a lot of did hugging. You, did you, you guys watch the whole thing? No, I was no, busy but... watching game eight. Uh, Leafs Habs. I really, I think <laughs> they're gonna pull it off. They're gonna pull off the comeback. That's like some sad hallucination you have in your basement uh, or something. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> we will, uh, we will talk about the Leafs later, James, but we got to talk about Mark Jifley. We've got to, we got to play these clips first. If you haven't heard these, Jesse, go ahead with them, please. Uh, from a press conference today, I've loved. Loved 
you know, an answer from them of what, of what would have been a better thing to do. Cause you know, you know, I've, I've replayed the thing over and over in my mind. And the only, the only real thing is if I gave up on my teammates, um, on that play and just didn't back check. So, uh, you know, it's over and done with, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna continue to, to, to cry over it, but, um, it's, it's, it's the decision they made. It's, it's crushing to, you know, that my season was ended, um, by that. And I wasn't able to, I wasn't able to play in this series. Um, you know, I thought I was going to be, I thought I was going to be trying to shut down by Philip Deneau and, you know, it was Department of Player Safety that shut me down. So that, that definitely sucks. Okay. We need, I need a side-by-side of Mark Shifley saying he's done crying over it and the amount of time it takes to cry over it again. And I need to see if it beats Usain Bolt's hundred meter dash record. <laughs> I believe it's 9.58. I want to, I want to see if Usain Bolt, I want to, I want to see Oh, someone put together the video. You know what I'm trying to say, and I'm just communicating it poorly. Anyway, he's a baby. James, you are a guy that has to listen to player quotes all the time. And usually they suck and they're boring. Uh, this one is one of the most interesting we've seen all year in the NHL. I wanted to get, you know, what's your initial reaction when you read that, when you watch that? I mean, I'm surprised because Mark Shifley's not known as a guy to, he's known as, kind of the sucks and our boring guy, you know, I'm surprised it was him saying that. And he's been always been known, you know, like one of the things that came out when he was suspended is that he's never been suspended before. He's barely got any penalty minutes. He's just one of the cleanest. He has has a reputation as being a really clean, nice guy player in the NHL. And I almost wonder, I give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because he's never been in a situation like this before. He never expected to be in a situation like this before. He's not a guy that gets suspended all the time. Um, I think that, and, and, you know, the, the playoffs and the way that the team went out without him and all those things, I think what you're hearing is some, the frustration boiling over into quotes that don't make them look very good is basically what, what's happening there. It, it does seem if you're Mark Shifley in this, the one thing I will say, as much as I disagree with his point of view is when you look at what happened and and Caps fans are going to hate this, but when you look at what happened with Tom Wilson, um, or what didn't happen with Tom Wilson and, you know, and you compare and contrast, you can understand why Mark Shifley's like, where's the bar here? And you can, you can sort of understand why Nazem Kadri's like eight games, really? And I think, I think from that perspective, do you think the frustration is more just, we just don't know where Department of Player Safety stands on anything right now? Yeah, that's, that's probably part of it. I mean, I, I, I don't take any issue with the suspension that Mark Shifley got, to be honest. I mean, it, and I don't take issue with the one that, that Kadri got either. I mean, I think that the Kadri one makes sense. I mean, you look at, I was reading the ruling from the neutral arbitrator yesterday, and it's the case they, that the league laid out. I mean, Kadri had been suspended for hitting guys in the head like six times or something like that. I mean, that, that one makes a lot of sense. Should there be more leeway for Mark Shifley with, it, that was a weird play. It was a really strange play. It was a strange player to be making that play. He says he doesn't know what he should have done differently. He shouldn't have clocked the guy. I mean, he had already put the puck in the empty net. Like, why are you why are you destroying the guy at the end of a game? He didn't want to give up on his teammates, James, obviously. <laughs> it's it's so it's just bad. Stupid. It's disingenuous, right? Like yes. it's just disingenuous. Yes. It's very just so like I mean, 
he what he should say is that I made a mistake there. I shouldn't have blown the guy up in that situation. I misread the play, and I'm not going to do it again. And I, he's probably not going to do it again because you look at his history, and he's played like 600 plus NHL games. He's never done anything like that before. Uh, but then, you know, the people I talked to around the league were surprised that it was Mark Shifley that did something like that and was involved in an incident like that. It's sorry. Go ahead, Steve. Well, I was going to say there's such an enormous disconnect in this sport. Um, I mean, there's always going to be differing opinions, but like it, it would be nice for the NHL once a year to take a compilation, like on their own YouTube channel, to take a compilation of hits and go see this hit, this hit rules like, and just show hard, like devastating hits and show the ones that don't violate any rules and explain why they don't violate any rules. Like is, is there, have you heard any, anything about the NHL trying to communicate what is and isn't clean better? They, I've actually seen them do this before. I can't remember the year we're going back like seven or eight years, but I used to, I used to go to Florida to the board of governors meetings or the, or the GM meetings and they would be down in like Boca Raton or whatever. <laughs> and in these meetings, the department of player safety gets like a, video screen and puts it in front of all the GMs in the league and say, this is what we want to get rid of. And this is this, we like this and like, this is okay. And they have all these different examples, whether or not they should do that. I mean, they probably should do that publicly, but, and it's, they, they try very hard to find the line in those examples that they give to the GMs. And then there's debate among the GMs over what's okay and what's not. And that's where the, the tweaks to the rule language come from is like all of these debates over the various things that, they're talking about so they do they do that um the process isn't as transparent as it probably should be like they, that should be something that that everyone can see those videos but uh but i have seen things like that before and it's really really interesting do you know what prompted them to send that tweet about hey there seems to be a misconception about what isn't isn't a repeat offender just uh, <laughs> I can't remember who it was. It, we, it, there were a lot of people on Twitter that were saying that, you know, Kadri's not a repeat offender on, because of the 18 was 18 month rule. Is that what it mm-hmm. is? Right. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, there were a lot of people that were kind of dunking on the NHL saying that, and that they see that. I mean, the, the league sees when I, I don't know exactly like the Genesis of which tweet or whatever pissed them off. But it, it, to me, that's, that's someone at the league office being like, come on, like that's not what repeat offender means right. that those repeat offender rules are just to determine how much salary guys lose or whatever. Right. But like the totality of your history still matters when they evaluate a hit. It's not like your, your slate is wiped clean after 18 months. Yeah. Well, and, and, and so that's, that's the thing that we were unclear about because it, you know, the way they say it, it, it sort of does give the average person, i.e. a guy like me, uh, the impression that, that, that it would be wiped clean. Like what, you know, that's, that's the thing. So I, I find that, I find that really interesting. So it doesn't totally wipe it clean. They still do look at your history. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, like if you right. look at the, the, the cadre ruling is out there publicly. If you look at it, it like goes through like all these different incidents and all mm-hmm. that really contributed to him getting the number of games that he did. So yeah, I, they should probably clarify it better than just sending out like a tweet that's like angry at people getting it wrong. It's like, well, you're right. I mean, people are getting it wrong because they talk about this repeat offender status all the time when it comes to the fines and the number of games you get. Um, 
when that doesn't really like they probably shouldn't even talk about their repeat offender status. Like, like who, who cares if it like changes the, the way the fine is calculated? Like that's not really pertinent to the conversation. Um, it, sorry, go ahead, Steve. I was just going to say like, it, it was the tweet was so jarring to me. Like you're mad at your own fans for not understanding the sport. Well, if, if anyone doesn't understand hockey, it's your fault. You're the national hockey league. <laughs> It's yeah, you yeah. Communicated poorly. You're the biggest hockey league in the world. It's your fault. Don't get mad at us. Shut up. What's the? Uh, I know that's not a question. I just wanted to say. It. You well, know, at the very least, Steve, they should communicate <laughs> it to the media that to explain it better than than it has been explained, and then they should just get rid of that idea of repeat offender status. They should just say, call it something else, and say that the fines are calculated or the whatever differently based on if you've had one in the last 18 months, but don't call it repeat offender. Cause then it makes it seem like it doesn't matter if you're a repeat offender or not. Right. Which it doesn't, which it doesn't because well, with Kadri, I mean, with Kadri, they, they nailed him based on, and you know, the Wilson ones have escalated based on, you know, guys like Rafi Torres that had multiple, mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot of the guys who have four or five of these, it, it seems like it tends to matter in terms of they ramp up the number of games that these guys are getting. Uh, with when it comes to Nazem Kadri, I mean, God, Vegas won last night. How many games would he have left? Like, can he join soon? Game seven is when he can come back. Game seven. So they got to push it to game seven. Do you have any sense from Colorado? Because um, I mean, I don't think anybody on the show disagreed with what he got. It was a it was a terrible hit. You need to be suspended. That's what it was. Um, do you do you get a sense from the Colorado organization, James, about how they might be feeling about this guy doing this again? Honestly, I haven't talked to anyone there. I mean, it's been the middle of the playoffs. And yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure you heard I was in the middle of another playoff series until last week. You know? <laughs> what the hell have you been doing Jesus. anyway? <laughs> I've been like, like that ended and then they did like their post game stuff. And then I just lay on the floor for a few days. And so, you know, like I, I didn't reach, I could have, I could have tried to talk to some people in Colorado and um, I do know that they really like Nazem Kadri, and I know that when they acquired him, they were like doing backflips and like they were so happy with that trade, and and they just felt like he was one of the missing pieces for them. Um, it's 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 got to change the equation for them a little bit if if they end up losing this series and he's not part of it. I mean, you know, it's such a such a great close series. He could have really been a deciding factor for them, and for him to not be available, especially when all the warning signs were there based on what he did in Toronto. I, I, I'm sure, you know, the Leafs organization, th- this is the, the number one reason why they traded Nazem Kadri. They just didn't, they felt like he would do it again. They felt like he had had so many chances and they couldn't trust him. Yeah. Yeah. Anahan suspended him personally when he was, when he yeah. was in charge of player safety <laughs> and then he joined well, the team. Well, and Shanahan suspended. Remember, he was suspended for an incident that it wasn't a, a hit, but there was an incident where, and there was a lot of talk about Kadri's maturity. And mm-hmm. you know, Shanahan. I remember that day at the at the rink. Shanahan showed up at the rink and started talking to the media out of nowhere and basically said, you know, we want him to grow up, but we want to give. We believe in giving him another chance, and we believe in you know. A lot of people were speculating that maybe he would get traded then, uh, and then they gave him more chances, and they gave him. I believe they gave him more than one additional chance after that. So I'm trying to think of with a timeline for when that suspension was. But you know, then they let him get suspended a couple times in the playoffs, and then it, they're like, okay, like we've given this guy enough chances. And they and they he rewarded them with two back to back 32 goal seasons. Yeah, and then he yoink. Yeah, he's a he's a very good player. I mean, 
Anyway, we don't have to like talk about Well, no, I don't want to dump on him, but I do want to move to, I do want to move back to Montreal. I mean, obviously we talked a little bit about Winnipeg. We talked a little bit about what happened in the series, but you know, you covered Montreal directly against Toronto. And I, you know, I guess, you know, we can talk about the, we've broken down that Toronto series, Toronto Montreal series over and over and over again. But I would like to get your takeaways because you've got insights that we don't have. And you know, there's, the, I think the first thing I would want to know is Montreal is into the third round in less than seven days. Uh, what is it about this team that is special? They've, they've found a way defensively to really frustrate their opponents and really limit their opponents in a way that whatever they do give up, Carey Price is able to stop. So, you know, a lot of people are crediting Carey Price. I don't think enough people are crediting the coaching staff. You know, I you could really see an adjustment with the way that Montreal was playing after game four when it was clear things weren't working and the Leafs were getting too many opportunities. It seemed like Montreal had their backs against the wall and what they did is they just played even more conservatively. You know, it, it, I've compared them on one of our shows to, to playing like team Germany in, in the Olympics where you're just like, you could see in the press box, how the Canadians were lining all five guys up along their own blue line. It was a very, very, very conservative defensive style that they were playing. And the Leafs didn't really have an answer for that. And it really frustrated them. And it was really hard for them to break through and, and score goals. And by game seven, they just, they didn't know what to do. So, you know, I, I got to credit the coaching staff because there were a lot of people after game four, when the Habs were down three to one, that were saying, you know, Ducharme's out of his league and you know is this guy supposed to be is this yeah like we were sitting in the press box and and people were like like is this guy supposed to be good or because it just looks like he's got no answers for this and then they came back and they had they had big answers for the for the Leafs you know after that you know and you know a lot of people that watch the Leafs a lot say that they struggle the most when they play against those really really um like trapping kind of shut down teams through the neutral zone you know, and I said before the series that it all Montreal, what Montreal should do is they should go back and watch that Columbus series last year and try and play like that. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what it feels like they did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. no. Defense. My one weakness. How did you know? But it's just like a stifling, stifling, boring, really patient. Like Montreal was was fine to go. What was the game that they went into and it was 0-0 in the third period? Was that game five or game six? I think it was game six and then Montreal got a couple of goals and then was there, yeah, there was, yeah. Well, you know, you're in game six, your season's on the line, you're down in the series. Montreal's like, that's fine. You know, like game <laughs> Campbell was so good. First period. Yeah. First period of game seven, nothing happens. Like literally nothing happens. And I watched that. and I was like, this is bad for Toronto. Like Montreal is fine to take a zero, zero tie to the end of game seven with their season on the line. Like they, they just, you know, they got a veteran team. They just, they were happy to win games one nothing, and the Leafs weren't able to do it. You you've seen the criticism and the fallout with the you know Marner and Matthews combining for a goal, um, and specifically Mitch Marner seemed to be you know a bit of a target, and rightfully so in the sense that the performance wasn't there. I'm not one of those people that agrees that that you know we should send death threats and things like that. And we've said that multiple times on this show that people are fucking crazy. But when it comes to performance in this series, I asked the question, do you think Mitch Marner's got, got the ability to perform in the playoffs? Like, is, does his style lend itself to, a, you know, to an $11 million player who has to play big minutes and score big points for the Leafs going forward? Well, I think Kyle Dubas is right that he has done it in the past. I mean, the, the, the first series against Boston, uh, I'm going to get my years wrong, 2018, Mitch Marner played really, really well. But also, 
I against believe. less competition, though. Yeah, if I remember correctly, I believe he was on the third line, wasn't he? Was he wasn't he not still playing with Bozak and JVR? Yep. And the idea was Babcock had really kind of spread out. So, I, honestly, I think I think Marner is probably taking a little bit too much heat because I think the coaching staff, the Leafs coaching staff, should have adjusted earlier than they did. I think it's 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 difficult to say because. Matthews and Marner were so good together all season, but they weren't good together in game five, six, and seven. And you have to make an adjustment. And I think if they would have had John Tavares, that they would have felt more comfortable moving Marner onto his line, given how much success those two have had together over the years. Without that, it just felt like they kept running out the same thing over and over again, even though it wasn't working. And, and I think what they had to do is they had to get either Matthews or Marner against lesser competition. And I would have broken them up. I would have broken them up. It's like the Habs watched the five game series against Columbus and the Leafs didn't. <laughs> like, right. wasn't this the same problem? Yeah. God, Is there any guys. internal criticism of the way Sheldon Keefe handled the series? I don't, I mean, there's no way they're going to let that out. Like, yeah. you, know, <laughs> you know, they're, they're not calling me to, to dump on. No, I think Sheldon Keefe said, yeah. <laughs> James, I'm pissed. <laughs> yeah. Kyle, call me back. There, Jesse, there, there's there's external criticism of, of the way that the Leafs coached in this series and the way that they, they didn't adapt. Um it's 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 tough. I mean, I feel you know I, I think Sheldon Keefe was thinking, you know, my bench was short and I needed the big guys to get it done. And in game seven, he was getting them away from, from Deneau. He was getting them up against fourth lines and third lines and different deep pairs. And he was getting them offensive zone starts. It was probably too late. They probably should have needed to make that adjustment earlier and give those guys more time. Um, mm. Game seven was just a complete disaster. I wonder if, if in the start of game six, if you started to really make the minutes a less challenging. And that, that quote at the beginning of the series that, that Keefe wasn't oh. worried about playing Matthews and Marner against anybody was, it ended up coming to bite them in a bad way. Um, and the, with the power play, you know, it seemed like, I mean, I guess they made adjustments, but it seems like they made adjustments too late all season. It struggled is, you know, there were people who I think rightfully so were highly critical of the way it was run. And, and the fact that, you know, we got a new coach behind there running things is there a, a potential change in system or a potential change in personnel coming, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think you could see both. I think that there's a lot of things on the table. Like, Sheldon Keefe's not going to get let go. Kyle Dubas no. is not going to let go. Brandon Shanahan's staying. But, like, I think that some of the supporting pieces could be certainly be different. I don't know if – I don't know how far along in that process they are at this point. It's been pretty quiet out of the out of the Maple Leafs. I think that they're what they're going to do is they're going to sit down and really kind of – have a clear-eyed assessment of where they need to go. But I think that I would not be surprised at all if you see different people in management, different people on the bench, different people on the coaching staff. You know, there was a lot of talk about getting Sheldon Keefe, someone with a lot of experience to really support him on the bench because they felt like after the first year, after the Columbus series, that he needed someone. You know, that's why there was all the talk about Bruce Boudreaux. And I really thought that that was going to happen or something like that was going to happen. In the end, it didn't. In the end, they they went with Manny Malhotra, who does not have a lot of experience on, on an NHL bench. Uh, they do have Dave Haxtell there, obviously, running the defense. Um, wouldn't shock me if there's a change there. Uh, they do have Paul McLean, who was kind of like the eye in the sky. I don't know how they feel about if that worked or not, but they're going to need to change some things because, you know, the power play was a disaster for 30 odd games. 
in in the last three games of the playoffs were a disaster too. And I'm not trying to hang it all on Sheldon Keefe. I'm just trying to say that I don't think this is all on Matthews and Marner not being able to score. I think that the Leafs really didn't adjust as a team very well, and that falls on a lot of people in the organization. What do you see cha- coming in terms of changes in player personnel this summer? Because like the thing is, the team's pretty strong all the way through, is it not? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I think they do have to do some soul searching on, I I, I think, you know, in in light of what happened at the end there, yes, they're a pretty strong team, but if you rank them in the NHL and if you watch the rest of the playoffs, are they strong enough to beat a Tampa or a Vegas or a Colorado in a playoff series? No, probably not. And the question for me is if you keep the core four guys together, that's half your cap space. How do you get better? How do you get better if you lose Zach Hyman to free agency, which could happen? How do you get better if Morgan Riley walks in a year to free agency? What's how do you get better if like they don't really have this probably doesn't get talked about enough. They don't really have prospects ready to step in and be difference makers right now. They don't like, you know, Sandine should be a full-time NHL player next year, but he's probably on the third pair. Nick Robertson was up and down in the AHL. I don't know that he's even ready to contribute to the NHL and there's nobody else. You know, if you look at, at some of the teams that, you know, that, that, that ha- if you look back at some of the teams that spent a lot of money on, on few players, like let's say Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh spent almost 50% of their, their payroll on the, the team in 2016 that won the cup or 2017 that won the cup. They also had guys like Jake Gensel and some other guys that were on entry level contracts or making hardly any money. The Leafs don't have kids like that coming right now. So they're going to have to find it another way. And some of the players they didn't spend a lot of money on last year that they were hoping could help them, like Joe Thornton, Jimmy Vesey, Travis Boyd. Uh, Zach Bogosian was fine. Obviously, Jason Spezza had a really good year. But there were a lot of those guys that they tried to win with and spend not a lot of money on that it didn't work out. Uh, uh, Lettinen, Barabanov. There's probably other, other ones that I'm forgetting. There's a whole long list of them they need to hit on some of those players and that they're actually making a difference on their third and fourth line and, and their third deep pair. And they haven't been able to do that nearly enough. You know what I don't like about this conversation and we've had it with a few people now. <laughs> it reminds me a lot about uh, when the Leafs lost game seven to Boston in 2019. And the obvious choice was to fire Mike Babcock and they decide, Nope, we want to be shit for a month and a half before we make that decision. Thank you very much. And then they were. The decision seems fairly obvious. The more people we speak to, they're spending too much goddamn money on four players. They're spending too much money on four players. But for some reason, we just got to mm, give them an, oh, what's another year? It's been over 50. What's another year? Like, they're not, how... What is the percentage chance they do anything with the core four this offseason? I don't think they would have come out in those press conferences and said, we're not doing anything with the core four and then do it. I, I don't, I take them at their word. Like, I don't think they're going to come out publicly and say, we believe in this core and we're keeping it together. And I, 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 I just don't, I don't believe that they would do that. It would be, it would be really weird for them to do that. And then all of a sudden go and make a trade. But I like to add to that, Steve, I don't know why they did that. I wouldn't have done that. I mean, most teams would have just said, we're going to evaluate everything and we'll see, you know, maybe they're trying to calm the waters and they're trying to, uh. so you, you really, you don't think Steve, there's any way that you can win with, with those four guys eating up that percentage of your payroll. There's no way to, 
I mean, it, I mean we, it would help if Tavares had been there, right? I mean, that, right. The, well, that's the, the thing. I mean, you're, we don't, don't know. We just don't Muzzin, know. Muzzin's missing and yeah. Felino isn't giving you anything. And I mean, but, injuries happen, but we have to take injuries into context. Like the thing is, is that when, 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 you, when you have put so much of your payroll in four guys, you're more vulnerable to injuries because if we've yes. seen that in the past, like during the regular season, yes. like when Matthews has been hurt, it's like, holy crap, like they don't have, they don't have enough when one of those guys goes down. So hockey just, it's, it's a sport. Personal. It's, <laughs> it's not personal. It's numbers. It's math. But I think then the question becomes, okay, let's, let's, let's say, let's say they do theoretically want to trade one of the core four. You're not going to trade Tavares. He's got the no movement clause. He's not going to agree to waive it. He's your captain, mm-hmm. et cetera. Matthews, you don't, you don't want to trade him. Nylander, like, are you going to, is there a trade you can make with Nylander where you, it's going to make your team better? The, the, you know what's the tough. crazy thing? The, the thing this year is that the defense was not a problem. Goaltending was not a problem. Right. And they st- and they still lost. Okay, I really, I, they, I genuinely. Yeah. They still, so this wasn't a matter of the core four eating up so much money that your goaltending or your defense was so poor that you couldn't win. That's not what happened. Like they that wasn't score. the story. Like every other year when they've been talking about trading a core four player, it's been, let's trade a core four player to get better on defense or get, you know, some people I've seen some people say you need like a marquee goalie. You can't win with whatever. Um, they could have won. Jack Campbell was good enough for them to win. The blue line was good enough for them to win. They couldn't score. Oh, they my heart. They couldn't <laughs> score. My heart hurts. My heart hurts, James. Well, man. and now they're going to go back into a division with Tampa and Boston. I think that that's and actually, Montreal. I think that that's actually good though, guys. I think that I think they need to raise the bar in terms of what they're trying to accomplish. Like it shouldn't be like we want to be in an easy division and sneak through and then get lucky in the playoffs. It's like they should like the the point of the evolution that the franchise is at with all of this the core players are in their prime. They should be trying to be as good as Tampa and Boston. So this season is a good litmus test for them. They should try and beat those teams during the regular season and finish ahead of them. And but some people might say that that's impossible, but that should be their goal. You're trying to beat them in the playoffs. Why is the goal to be the sixth or seventh or eighth best team in the NHL, which they've done a couple of times in the last few years? Management's mm-hmm. goal should be to aim higher than that. I mean, how are they going to do that? I don't, it's, it's going to be difficult, but that should be the goal. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Um, this hurts, man. This hurts. Okay. You got to do um, your, your name is Vegas. You're Vegas. You run Vegas. Um. Who is the most likely leaf claimed by the Seattle Kraken? And who do the least protect? I should have perhaps asked that in reverse order. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm the GM of Vegas. Okay. Yeah. And, and I didn't, now, no, actually, yeah. I'm the GM of Seattle now, is what's yes. happening. Right. Did I say Vegas? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I meant Vegas. for odds. James, it's a terrible question. Let me ask again. Who do you protect and who are they losing? <laughs> I think who you protect, I think you go four and four and you protect the core four forwards and you protect your top four D and, and Seattle's choice is between Travis Dermott who played 13 minutes a game last year or, or Alex Kerfoot. And I, I think that the Kraken like Kerfoot and I think that they're going to be hard pressed to draft uh, forwards who can produce offense. So he might appeal to them. He would certainly play higher in their lineup than he does with the Leafs. I think the Leafs probably lose Kerfoot and even though he played great in the playoffs and you could sort of see a little bit more of the potential that the Leafs organization had seen in him, I think it's okay because you're getting back the three and a half million. 
with the way that the cap is right now, it's borderline whether or not Hawks Kerfoot is worth three and a half million. That gives the Leafs some space. Like, let's put it another way. Let's say that Seattle takes Dermot. That doesn't really help you on the cap at all. The Leafs probably still have to look at trading Kerfoot anyway. So if you lose Kerfoot in the, in the expansion draft, I mean, I guess maybe you could get an asset back for Kerfoot in a trade that you're not getting if you lose him to Seattle. But that can be something they look at too. I mean, they could they could decide, you know what, let's trade Kerfoot, get back X, and then we can we'll lose something else to to Seattle in the expansion draft. I think there's going to be a lot of movement before that expansion draft around the league, and the Leafs are going to have to look at how they fit into all of that. Boy, not a fun gig. Not a fun gig at all. Um, I, I, I got to ask, James, you've been, have you been watching the, uh, the, to move on from the Leafs a little bit, have you been watching the Bruins Isles series? No, I got to, I, I kind of, it's been a long season with the condensed schedule and I kind of mm. overdosed. And uh, <laughs> I'm hearing I've been, a lot of that. I've been taking, I've been taking uh, taking the option on some of the games, so I have not seen a lot of that series. No. Okay. All right. Well, so okay. So then, but you've you've seen this before. So Bruce Cassidy gets fined twenty five thousand dollars for criticizing the officials, and you know there has been a lot made of the way the Islanders have spoken to the refs. Quote, according to Bruce, sold calls, and I went through games one, uh, games games one, two, three, four, and five. Um, equal penalties in game one. Bruins had five penalties. Isles had three in game two. In game three, the Bruins had three penalties. The Isles had two equal in game four. And then uh, the Bruins have four penalties in, in game five and the Isles have two. So it, it you know, it has slanted Bruin. Um, do you think that there is... <laughs> I'm sure Leafs fans probably love this conversation. A little the, bit. <laughs> the, Bruins, the, Bruins, the Bruins are complaining that they're taking too many penalties. Like the Leafs fans have been wanting that for... You know, ever since the, the the series in 2017 against Boston, to, or 2018 against Boston, that this was going to be the case. And you know, I, Barry Trotz had a good good response. Like he he said, "We're the least penalized team in the league." Like I don't let we're not taking penalties because we don't take penalties. And that's you know, Boston's played this way. And I mean, you play that way at some point, you're going to get some calls against you, right? Like some point, especially if you're playing against a team no. that really doesn't have a lot of penalties. <laughs> Can you imagine not getting calls? I'm a suck. <laughs> I mean, my heart bleeds for the Boston Bruins. Not getting calls. Can you imagine yeah. that? Is is there anything to that though? Can can a can an NHL player sell a ref on a call? Oh yeah, yeah. I think I mean Kadri was the master at it. Don't you remember when Kadri was with the Leafs? Like he would he would lead the league and draw penalties there for. Mm-hmm. I think he led the league for like. I want to say his first three seasons, and then the refs seemed to adjust and stopped calling so many penalties, but yeah, I mean, it, it is a skill. You do see players that are better at it than others. Uh, I haven't noticed in any of, you know, watching the replays or anything like that, any calls against the Bruins that I thought were egregiously shouldn't have been calls. And I think in general, I need the, I think the league needs to call more penalties, you know, and I think they, they need the, the star players to be able to, uh, to do more. I mean, there's that conversation was around the Winnipeg Edmonton series with Connor McDavid. And you could see it there that he was being mauled. Connor mm-hmm. McDavid was being mauled. And I think that at some point, the NHL needs like a come to Jesus moment here where they, they decide they want to let the stars play and they don't want the game to look like this. And so I don't know. I mean, if anything, I mean, you're reading how many penalties there have been in the games. That doesn't strike me as very many penalties. 
it doesn't seem that, you know, sometimes it's, it's not what's called. It's sorry. What it's not that, the amount, but it can be what they didn't call, or you know, the penalties that they did call were ridiculous, or whatever it is. It, it you know, you can leave that up to the fans. I just think it's a it's an interesting thing. It is very, very, very funny to see the Bruins complaining about it. I'm a big Bruce Cassidy fan. Yeah. Um, is there a chance, James, that he's trying to create an us against the world sort of mentality with the Bruins where, where they're at right now? A lot of coaches will do this when they're down a little bit. It's like you know, everybody's against you. Um, and, it, and, and maybe that $25,000 fine was, was good in the sense that he's trying to push his team together and get more out of them. Um, so it was maybe less about what was actually going on in the ice and more about creating that. You know, Tom Brady does that, right? It's always, well, yeah, nobody believes in us. It's like, Tom, you've won like 10 fucking Super Bowls. People know you can do this. But every time he's like, oh, nobody believes in us. No, And it, it seems to be a mental thing that he gets his teams whipped up into. Yeah. I mean, I've covered enough playoff series that, you know, I am a big believer in in controlling the narrative and changing the narrative. And like, because, you know, you start saying stuff like that, then all of a sudden the Islanders are getting asked about it every day and they're talking about it every day. It's a little bit different when we don't have, we're not in the dressing room. Like when, when we're, when you have, when you cover a playoff round series, especially later in the playoff or within a big market, like, like Boston, and they open the dressing room for the reporters to go in and it'll be like an army of like 50 or 60 reporters and cameras and whatever. And what happens is the guys get asked the same questions over and over and over again. And if the questions are all about the referees and the penalty calls and whatever, I think that that's great. I, you know, I think if you're a coach, you should try and do that. You should try and control the narrative. You should try and, you know, it, it's a way of lobbying the league in a very public way and saying that this isn't fair. And, you know, I, I, the league's going to look closer at what's happening in that series and the officials are going to think about it a little bit differently. And if you can get it to break your way, then why wouldn't you do that? He's a very strategic guy. That's, that's you know, the, the series that we saw, I think, you know, Bruce Cassidy versus Mike Babcock two years in a row. I think Bruce completely outcoached Mike Babcock, outclassed him in that last game seven, no question. Um, so I just wondered, you know, it's kind of Bruce playing mind games again, which, you know what, power to him. Um, you know, I think, James, when it comes down to um, the actual game and coverage itself, and then, you know, and then we'll let you go because I know uh, it's your daughter's birthday and happy birthday to her. Hey, happy um, birthday. But uh, we He's three, three years old. Yay. That's amazing. Uh, so my daughter okay. just turned two about a month or sorry, about oh, two weeks ago. Nice. So, nice you, yeah. yeah. We're Does a big, she know you, it's her birthday? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She, three well, she's not sure about which day it is and we're going to have her party on the weekend. So it's a bit confusing because today's the birthday and then the party's on the weekend. And, but with, with the, I think the lockdown eases up here in a couple of days or something like that. So like, she's going to be able to like actually see a couple of her friends, which is going to be like the first time. So that's going to be pretty neat. So that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Well, listen, we, we know you made time for us today, so we do appreciate it. I want to talk to you about actually covering the game because you've had to do this over zoom for a long, long time already. Um, do you have a sense of, you know, let's, let's say, cause in Ontario, we're, we're a little behind the U S but um, everybody gets their two doses this summer or everybody has access to it. Uh, you can't force people to get them. And uh, next year there's fans in the stands, which we expect there to be fully. We expect there to be a full, full house uh, come October. Um, do you think you'll be allowed in the dressing rooms? I hope so. I know in baseball, they're starting to let uh, media are starting to get like one-on-ones and things like that. But the difference with baseball, of course, is that it's outside, right? So right. They're, they've been a lot more open about that in the U.S. with access is going back to normal in baseball. So 
you know, I've been keeping a close eye on that. Obviously we have, you know, whatever, 46 hockey writers at the athletics. So, you know, we have a lot of people that, that want access and that are going to need it. Um, I hope so. It makes a big difference. You know, I, I don't know how much the fans have noticed, but the kind of stories that we can tell and the kind of detail that you can get and the kind of conversations you can have. And it's so much different when you can sit down with a player in the dressing room and talk to them. And, you know, I, I sometimes I think that fans are dismissive of, of the access questions because all they see is like kind of the really lame, you know, you were talking about players being boring and whatever, but what they don't see is, you know, we, we have great reporters like, uh, like a Mark Lazarus in Chicago and he'll go and he'll talk to Jonathan Taves for 20 minutes and you'll just get this amazing feature about, you know, something you never even thought about as a fan. That's just not possible unless you can have that, that kind of interview process. So it would make a huge difference for us. I think it is going to come back, but whether or not it's going to be there in the fall, I don't know. I mean, the thing that people need to keep in mind is that not everybody is going to get vaccinated. Not every player is going to get vaccinated. As I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that talked about a lot, but there are players in the NHL who aren't going to get it. So do, do, does the league have to worry about, does the PA have to worry about protecting those guys? I don't know. I don't know what their answer to that's going to be. Well, how do you protect someone who won't protect themselves? What does the that's PA a, do? They're not forcing players well, no. to, get it, to get it. And I, I, I understand that from a, I'm, I, I think everybody should get vaccinated, but I understand that there's this undercurrent of anti-vaxxer bullshit that's permeated our society um, I, I just, you know, does the world need to stop for the people that like are just denying science? Like, do we need to, do we need, they've chose, they made their choice, right? Like if it's sort of like, it's, it's, it's odd to me and I understand why you might have to consider that, but it would be odd to me to protect somebody who doesn't, it's like, it's like, listen, man, you should wear your seatbelt. Well, I'm not going to, well, let's stop traffic. Um, let's just, we can't drive. <laughs> We can't drive. Nobody can drive because uh, he, you know, Joe won't wear a seatbelt because it's akin to that. Do you know what I mean? It's an interesting thought experiment. It's, you know, even if things go back to normal, this isn't going away. Like this conversation is still going to be there. There are still going to be players that that get COVID and, you know, miss games. I wonder if they're going to test all the players next year. They probably are. Um, I got my brain tickled yesterday. <laughs> That's great. Fun? Great experience. Love it. <laughs> do you, do you get, they, do they give you like the big long one is that what they do like the they made me do it myself it was a rapid <laughs> test and i got to shwabby it up uh my big italian nose and uh, we had to do the <laughs> i don't have do it the, yeah <laughs> Sorry, we had to we had to do the rapid test when i was going to to scotia bank for the for the games so were you and, at every game in the playoffs uh i went to i didn't go to game two i went to one five and seven so was it eerie when you're in the arena and it's empty and there's no crowd and the guys are just playing. Yeah. It sucks. I mean, yeah. I, I went to, I, it's, it's, it's brutal. Yeah. It's, it's really brutal. I went to some of the playoff games last year in the bubble and it was, I went to the very first one that was in the bubble. It was Carolina and the Rangers. And it was in the afternoon. It was at like 12 in the afternoon. There were literally like five people in the stands for that game. There was no one there. There was nobody there. There was hardly any media there. There were like two media people there. And I just walked around. I wrote a story about it. I walked around and I like took pictures and, you know, there was, it was, it's really, really strange. And at that point they hadn't cranked up the fake crowd noise to the volume that they did later on. Oh. Like now when you go to the game, the, that fake crowd noise is so loud. It's, it's really uncomfortable to sit there for like four hours listening to that crap be pumped in there as loud as it is. Um, 
It's like you're being like face to face with the speakers too. Yeah, that's that true. Yeah, when you're up in the press box, it's and it's it, and it's it's really cold in there, and nothing's open, and like you can't even get anything to eat. And like I would bring in like a box of crackers, like just in case the game goes to like triple overtime, and you can't eat for it. It's just it sucks. <laughs> it sucks. There's no atmosphere there. It's hard to talk to people. Are you partitioned off in the, like a box? No, we we were able to move around. You're, oh. you're we're told to keep. Uh, six feet apart, but we were able to move around and like and talk to each other. We, everyone was wearing a mask, but the only people there are media. Like, so the only people you could talk to is media. Normally, when you're in the press box, there's scouts up there. The other team is up there. There's there's league personnel there. There's the radio broadcast and the TV broadcast is up there. There's a lot more people that you interact with on a daily basis in a game. Uh, and it, this wasn't like that. They actually we weren't in the press box. We were actually on the other side, and it was just like trying to think how many probably like i would say 35 or 40 media were up there and they they left out like a bunch of cans of like diet coke or something and that was that was literally all that was up there was like 40 media people and cans of diet coke yeah i, I like these this story i find is just so fascinating watching these games with no crowds because i feel like in 50 years it's going to be such a phenomenon that sports went on with no crowd and like you your experience there is going to be a story that people will want to hear again and again and again because it'll be a part of history i hope so jesse because that means it never happens again and like we never have to go through it you know like (laughs) my fear is that this isn't going to be the last of these things that we see and that you know we'll have to live through something like this again but maybe i'm just being negative or something we're hoping not. Maybe once every hundred years. We'll let uh, great grandkids <laughs> deal with it. You know what I mean? <laughs> the next ones, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So listen, James Myrtle, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show as always. We'd love to have you. And uh, we'll do this again because there's going to be lots of Leaf stuff to talk about, lots of NHL stuff to talk about. But go enjoy your daughter's birthday. And thank you for making time for us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Right, you want to you want to plug where you work? Where do you work? <laughs> Athletic.com. Download the app today. Yeah, we're gonna have lots of great content. We're working on what are our offseason content plans. So, and if people like reading about the NHL playoffs, like we have people at every single game, we have beat writers for every single team. It's uh, the coverage has been fantastic. Jesse Granger, who covers Vegas for us, has an awesome story about Mark Stone up today. So, I, I love that you can read about any team, any player, any you know, situation that you want. It's, 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 uh, if you're a hockey nerd, it's definitely a good place to be. Perfect. Happy to plug your, uh, your little startup there. (laughs) Yeah, we're not little, that's for sure. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So Tampa gets uh, through to the third round. 
But I just want to say shout out to Carolina Hurricanes fans who, uh, from what I understand, saluted the team. People yeah. were like, what the hell are they cheering for? They lost. Man, come on. Shut up. <laughs> you fucking idiots. <laughs> I honestly, it's just crazy. I love, everybody loves Carolina fans. If you're part of the, I, you know, unless you're part of the, uh, I only like talking in the 70s crowd. And um, honestly, uh, a good run, but Tampa's just strong. Right? They're so good. Like, like I really, I, I don't have the heart. Like, I, I keep saying Carolina's got to eventually have a run where they get over the hump. Tampa's an unusual hump. Like, there, it's is, in the cap era, there are three teams that I'm like, you're not allowed to be this good. Vegas, Colorado, Tampa. This, this is their last, what, four years? 2018, conference final. We're up three games to two. Braden Holpe plays the best two games of his career. 2019, win the President's Trophy, blow it in the first round. But they did win the President's Trophy. 2020, win the Stanley Cup. 2021, bare minimum Final Four. Pretty cool. They're staggering. They're such a good hockey team. Right, are we going to talk about how they cheated? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, what, the capture? Are we going to talk about Nikita Kucherov and cheating? Yeah. What yeah. other team can do that? Legal. What other team can do that? Legal. No, the Hurricanes. No. Let's say the Hurricanes were in cap trouble. Mm-hmm. They could not just shelve Sebastian Ajo all year. I don't know if Matthews gets some strange knee injury. Maybe he just sit out eighty-two games. You know, no, have eleven oh, million dollars free to sign somebody else, and they'll miss the playoffs. Yeah, they will. <laughs> no, we got J- we got JT. You'll hold nah, it down. Tampa. Who's number two? So sneak deep. into the eight. You have eleven million dollars to go get a second line center. Oh, just go get one. Just go get one. Just go get one. You got to remember, free free agents exist. You won't be on LTIR till the season begins. (laughs) Just saying. All right, all right, all right. So, um, uh, I think there was a one last thing I wanted to get to here before we get to the uh, the press conference. We don't need to spend too much time on it. And I'm not sure who made this call. I usually thought I thought this came from City Hall, but apparently not. The CN Tower was lit up red, white, and blue to support the Montreal Canadiens yesterday. Um, John Tory, our mayor, said, uh, I'm not really sure what was up with that, but we're not doing that at City Hall with the big Toronto sign. I guess I'm the only one, but I didn't hate it. I, I, I didn't oh. understand the outsized, crazy, visceral, mean reaction to it. And people were like, when I tweeted that, people were like, uh, well, Montreal would never do that for us. And I was like, yeah, no, I know that. But that's okay. It, they don't. You don't have to do things just because somebody would do them for you. I think it's just like, you know what? They beat us fair and square. They've done something amazing. They're in the conference final. Nobody expected this except maybe them. Adam, I, I have a theory. What's um, the theory? Twitter sucks ass. Oh, it's a bad idea, and we should abandon it. <laughs> like I, I, I had garage beers with a with a friend outside, <sighs> fresh air. We weren't lip kissing or anything, so you know, don't worry. Limit the spread. Um, and we had a disagreement about the Mark Shifley hit, and neither of us hate each other. Really? Yeah, we're fine. We're guys, still friends. Or is there some tension though underneath? No. Did you, did you, did he like go over to your house, search your phone records, try to find things about you to assassinate your character? Oh, well, like he threw a on fire bag of dog poo at my car okay. when I was leaving. Right. That makes sense. But he yeah. waited till I was leaving. That's a human thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, now, and he I, never confirmed that it was dog. So, Steve, are you pro or anti the CN Tower? 
being being lit up pro just humiliate me just make me feel like shit and I, honestly i think it's a good message for the team is it not just spit in my face just Can i, I, I hate i hate these guys i'm ready for jesse to weigh in on I weigh this. in here so the cn tower is not a toronto landmark it might happen to be in canada but it's controlled federally and sean fitzgerald spoke to the cn tower people about why it was in montreal canadian colors they said the cn tower stands proudly in the heart of toronto it is a federally owned and operated property that belongs to all Canadians. Primarily, the CN Tower's lighting helps to raise awareness for registered charities and causes. Our lighting also helps to celebrate Canadian arts, culture, and sports. We have lit for Grey Cup champions. We have lit to highlight the achievements of Canadian musicians and performers. We have helped to cheer on Canadian teams in, in, in international sporting competitions. Now, so the CN Tower is uh, it's a federal thing and it has every right to light for the colors of the Montreal Canadiens. It should have done that. Like it should be, hey, we're gonna, all politicians like Justin Trudeau should be on the side of the Canadians trying to galvanize Canadians to get behind this uh, Montreal team. That's he would not cool. be doing that shit if it was the Leafs. Shut no, up, he Justin. Would. He would not. He <laughs> absolutely like, I, would not. But like, I would understand from a politician's perspective, you're trying to get a country to come together. And that's yes. all the CN Tower does. It highlights Canadian things and it tries to get Canadians to celebrate Canadian achievements. That's it. And a team from Canada is about to go on to the final four of an international league. The problem that I have with this whole thing that's going on here is the idea that if you're a hockey fan, you cheer for another team just because they're from oh, this country. The no. ca- being Canada's team is the worst concept we have going on right now in the Stanley Cup playoffs in hockey. It doesn't make, I'm a, if you're a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, why, why do I care that another city is in the final four? Mm-hmm. Like, why? Hey, hey, all those all those New York Rangers fans. Uh, well, we'll bet we'll get them next year. And you take off your Panarin jersey to reveal a Barzal jersey underneath, like you, you know, do every year, right? All those That's Flyers normal. fans were cheering for the Penguins in the playoffs. Like that oh, makes yeah. total sense. Matthew so I don't, Kuchuk, Oh no, we lost McDavid. <laughs> I don't <underneath>. know why <laughs> Canadian media or sports fans or hockey fans. I don't even know who's behind this Canadian team thing. But when I see it, it doesn't make sense to me because you're you're t- you're a fan of the crest that you cheer for, not the country where the other teams in the league might reside. That doesn't make sense. There's no Canadian team that people should be cheering for. So that's my problem with the the CN Tower because it it just it furthered this idea that there's a Canadian team that we're all rooting for because they happen to be from Canada. Right. And team Canada is team Canada. Yes. That is the, <laughs> when right? they play international competitions, we all cheer for team Canada, team not Canada. Montreal. Who's the last standing right. team. And that's the thing Screw you that. can listen. I'm, I'm all for like being classy and tipping your hat and saying, you know, and, and Montreal fans are super pissed at me because I still don't think Jeff Ducharme's good. Or Dom Ducharme. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff Ducharme could eat Jeff it too. We, we, got, we need Jeff. Jeff's Ducharme. the best. He's such a nice guy too. Like I feel bad. But we, the, need, we need Jeff Ducharme shirts and it's a picture of Jack Mark Bergman. <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm saying is, is that I, I think that you got to tip your cat to, cat to that team, but I don't think cat, you have to root for them. I don't think right. you have to. I don't understand that concept either. And I think there's like a... Um, there's like a, a mentality of, and it's a small man syndrome in Canada. Well, it's, we got to send, we got to cheer who for whoever gets 
there because we need a cup in Canada. No, we need a cup in fucking Toronto. I give a shit if Montreal gets a cup. It means it, nothing. It means yeah, nothing I, me. I agree, Adam. So th there's a disconnect with bring the cup home, right? Because the Montreal Canadiens won't be bringing the cup home to you. Well, no, they're bringing it to Montreal. They're bringing it to Montreal. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. So that being said, the CN Tower is Torontonian, not Canadian. Well, it is. I don't. I know that's a federally controlled thing, but let's be honest. Federally owned thing. Fart. No, but <laughs> like anyone in Fort McMurray is like, like, like. I love the CN, CN Tower. Tower yeah, but like we, we Torontonians have no control over it. Like it's no, a, they don't. It's a federally run building. I think. I think Toronto. at the end of the day, yeah. Canadians have got to get past. Canadians have got to get past the inferiority complex with the United States. They're bigger, they're faster, they make more money. We get it. We gotta, we gotta bask in what is ours and be happy with what is ours and, and accentuate the great things that make Canada a great country. And I think that at the end of the day, that doesn't mean that we just go, you know what? I'm just gonna cheer for any Canadian team because I just hope someone wins. For fuck's sakes, it's like what Steve said a couple weeks ago, the bar for oh. hockey and success in this country is so low. We were guaranteed a spot in the final four. Oh, the Habs. Somebody was going. The Habs won the Canadian Stanley Cup. They did. And sure. which is making the third round. Yes. And now we see if they can ascend. Now, Bergevin will have his job till 2030 now. Congratulations, everybody. Oh, whether they make the playoffs ever again or not, he will be there till the end of Carey Price's contract and beyond. It's just the, because he made the third round that one time, guys. Also, the first Carey guy Price, to be GM, and Premier at the same time. We we we're dismissing the Habs right now, but Carey Price might win them a Stanley Cup. This is a very realistic possibility. I don't care who they're going up against in the next two rounds; they could win. And like, I'm seriously thinking about picking them to win the Stanley Cup right now because Carey Price might just do it. Can, can I tip my hat to the Montreal Canadiens while simultaneously being like, it's not weird that no one believed in you? Yeah. It's what? Well, okay. Last year, they finished 24th. Le this year, they finished 18th. On purpose? Was this part of the plan? Was this part of the master strategy? They wanted to be underrated. People are like the Rangers. The Rangers. The Rangers are dog shit. I can't believe they didn't take a step forward. They finished sixteenth. Guys, guys, we want to finish. We want to finish with fewer wins than two teams that missed the playoffs. The Flyers and Flames both had more wins than Montreal. Dallas and the Rangers finished higher than them in the standings. This is it. No. They're playing 40 chess, these guys. <laughs> they, Yo, this they know what they're doing. <laughs> Everything you just said makes the Leafs look awful. Like shit. <laughs> and I tell you what, I this is what I'm gearing up for. Everyone who railed against the idea that the Canadian division sucked, I got news for you. The Habs are Canada's team now, and you better cheer for them because if the Habs get steamrolled in the third round, this division is going to look like a hunk of yeah. shit. The Oilers got swept by a team that got swept. The Leafs lost to the Habs, and if the Habs get destroyed by whoever they play, no offense to the Islanders fans, but the idea of a Montreal-Boston final would sure be fun. Um, but 
I swear to God, if they get steamrolled, everything everyone said about this very shitty, shitty, very shitty division is 100% true. As a collective, that's probably our coldest take from this season. Us multiple podcasts defending the play in the in the yeah. North Division, hog shit division. Yeah, it might Hog-shit. just be it might just be well, seven then, terrible so, teams. So Canadians fans are are gonna say, "Well, you can't. You just can't fucking give us credit." No, we have many many times. You made you finished 18th with a negative nine goal differential, <laughs> but they won when it counted. They won when it counted. We have forty chess. Smartest team in the sport. Fired your coach. Get out of here. You're doing well. Great. But like, it's not weird that people were like, I don't know if this team that finished with uh, eight more losses than wins is good. What? (laughs) Say that again. They finished 24, 21, and 11. Oh, you're counting the OT losses. Okay. Right, I am, because they lost those games. <laughs> right, right. Okay, can I say something? Can I say something? <laughs> Go for Eight it. Games okay, under 500. So, so now that, okay, if if Montreal has to play one of Vegas or Colorado, sure. which they probably will, yeah. right? They have to. Yeah, because it the, reseeds. They're the, the lowest seeded team. The team yeah. has to play one or two. They're playing Vegas or Colorado. Here, so here's the thing. Um, my bet is that Montreal does not win a game in the third round. I would oh, not. That's my bet. What do you, what do you want to bet? I, on I will say it? that oh, Montreal boy. will not win a game. In what the do you want to? What do you want to bet? Uh, what do you want to bet? What do you want to bet? Um, you have to make a two hundred dollar donation to um, a charity that I'm going to pull up right now. Hold on. What about like Black Girl Hockey Club or something like that? Sure. Like, let's that do. Or? Let's do Black Girl Hockey Club. Done. Two hundred dollars if Montreal wins a game. If they if they get swept, all all Steve and I will make that donation. Yeah. Oh, you can't split it. No way. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll okay. We'll do two hundred each. It'll be no. four hundred. So uh, that's a it, lot. And God, I just thought it was between you and <laughs> wait, me. We're involving wait. Steve. I don't remember agreeing to any of this. Steve, why don't you just give money? Who cares which way this goes? Yeah, I'm fine. Steve. I will. Okay. Yeah. All right. I will take that bet. Montreal does not win a game in the third round against either Vegas or Colorado, whoever they have to play. Right. Does shake, not. Not a fucking chance. Shake my hand through Zoom. Yeah. And but to, to, fast. to put a bow on this, I am. No, Steve. Someone clip that. To, to put a bow on this, I'm not taking a thing away from the Montreal Canadiens. They are one of, they have a 25% chance of winning the Stanley Cup. And math nerds are like, what? No, they don't. Shut up. They're one of four teams remaining. You know what I mean. Hey. One of four teams left once this is all said and done. Cool. They finished 18th in the regular season. So you know what, it's James? not weird that they were doubted. James made a really good point. It will be Bullshit. good for the Leafs to play some, to play, to play against um, the Bruins and Lightning all next season. It will be good for them. Uh, oh, yeah. Something that nobody wants to admit. It was terrible this season watching the same seven teams over and over and over again. Oh yeah, I like watching all thirty-two teams play. The one thing I hope they do is they do like sets i did like the three three games against one team you know whatever i also think it saves players bodies you know like if they're not especially if you're in the west like the the amount of flying those guys have to do i think that they should stop into town it's like hey montreal's got they're here all week Mm -hmm. yeah do the three games do the do the baseball model do three game sets but yeah i like that play everybody it's i I think the schedule is going to change for the better yeah next season and uh to our point about the playoffs 
you know, we did talk a little smack about the central division because it really does seem to be three good teams and the Preds made it too. Um, but Tampa still somehow, despite that, had to play Florida and Carolina. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they were one of the three good teams and then they had to beat the two others. Right? There, there was no – they're not getting an easy path to the cup no matter mm-hmm. what. And now they're going to have to play the winner of Boston uh, Islanders? Tampa has had the most difficult run so far. Yep. Tampa like, can't be looking at the Islanders like, like – they got to be looking at the Islanders like, not you again. Right. Because that was not an easy series. Um, I just want to say quick breaking news before we wrap the show because we're not going to do a press conference today. I have to ask one question. One question. We are going to do the press conference today. Ray Shiro has been hired as a senior advisor to the GM for the Minnesota Wild. And I believe he's a native of Minnesota too. Oh. So it'd be a nice little homecoming for him. And let's get to the press conference. Um, I teased this guy. I teased this to you guys on text, but uh, Jeff Merrick was on Hockey Central at noon every day as he is. And he asked an interesting question that I wanted to ask you guys. So Ooh. Tyler, Tyler Toffoli scores the game winner uh, for Montreal. Uh, what was it? Two nights ago. Yep. Uh, closed out the series. Yep. Is... Was Tyler Toffoli the best off-season signing? One, part A. Part B, what does that say about Jim Benning, who didn't want to offer him enough money? Well, So, part A, do you agree? Is he the best off-season signing from uh, this past UFA class? Two, what does that say about Jim Benning? Only question, thank you for your time. I'll so, let's, listen. let's bring up Tyler Toffoli. Like, let's, let's see what we're talking about. Here. Hey, we are limited on time here, so let's right. not bring too much. 52 <laughs> games, kidding. 52 games, and he still somehow puts up 28 goals, which is the second most of his career. Uh, 16 assists. Jesus. So this guy was just Cy Young candidate. Like, he was not passing the puck. He was shooting it, and he had 44 points. In these playoffs, he's got four goals. Right, man. That's another thing that kills me so much about that Leaf series. Tyler Toffoli could not put the puck in the net until late in the series. God! Anyway, so he's got 10 points through 11 games. Uh, I got to tell you, you add an over 30-goal pace to your lineup for no assets, and you get him for what? What is he making, 4.25? Yeah, it's pretty good. That's a really really good signing man yeah and if you remember the benning quote it's that they ran out of time to offer him money no he's listen he's he's a bad general manager let's let's call it what (laughs) yeah he is he is he's a a bad general manager and there there are guys in this league that i think are just ill fit for their roles jim benning in some alternate universe is you know he runs your draft or he, you know, runs your amateur scouting or something, and he's awesome at it. And we talk about him with nothing but reverence. The Canucks haven't done shit. Oh, they want to play off round you. Okay, okay. Hang that banner. Then oh say can like as beat the blues last year. Like, who cares? They haven't done a thing. And his management of uh their assets of the cap has been monstrous it's been horrible drafted really well drafted really well and that's why the canucks aren't completely a lost cause they're threatening for a playoff spot every year because he's so good at the thing that he's good at but the stuff he's bad at he's cataclysmically bad 
And the fact that they gave up all that for Tyler Toffoli, he only cost that much in free agency and they weren't able to bring it back. Inexcusable. And he should pay for it with his gig, but he's not going to. Because eventually he will. They're not going to get that much better. They'll be okay, but they've got a lot of re-signings to do this offseason too. He's had the better part of a decade and they Mm -hmm. haven't done a thing. And here's the deal. You got Tyler Myers in there uh, making six mil. What's Quinn Hughes going to ask for? Oh, oh. You know, like that's that. I mean, that's I'd I'd be looking at that going, um, do it without me then. This is the problem. You got to pay Besser. And they did. <clears throat> Got it. But at some point, you're going to have to Patterson. pay Hughes. You're going to have to pay Pedersen. You're going to have to pay Hoglander. Like, they have guys. They have some really talented young guys. But, man, that cap I'm, situation is a world of hurt. To answer your question, number one, Jesse, the first question was best signing in the offseason, I think, was Alex Petrangelo. I, I think that you get the best player, you have the best signing. Okay? That's fair. I don't think anybody would disagree um, really with that. He's top three yeah. to Foley. Yeah, yeah, no, and then that's not to take away from Toffoli. Right. I mean, or Bergevin, great move, like awesome. Um, Hard to look second, at Vegas. What was the second question? Is what does it say about Jim Benning? Everything we've said on the show for the past five years about Jim Benning is what it says about Jim Benning. We have said this over and over and over again. Fantastic at the draft. Please flush his phone on July first or whenever free agency is this year. Throw it away. Put it in dog poop, whatever it is. Do not let him pick it up. And actually, this year, you don't even have to worry about disconnecting his phone because he's got no money to spend. And and so, like, you know, I, I mean, everybody that, that tweeted me that one goal Jay Beagle scored in the playoffs last year, fucking great. How do you feel now? Right? And that and that's the thing is, like, I told you, Beagle's not a good contract. Russell's not a good contract. Myers isn't a good contract. Sutter's not a good contract. Pearson's not a good contract. Erickson's not a good contract. I can go on and on and on and on. You lost Tanev, you lost Markstrom, and you lost to Foley, and you lost to Foley at a huge discount because everybody was afraid to spend money this offseason. So you could have made to Foley sweat, got him at less money than you were going to pay him even in a, like in a normal world, and you still couldn't get it done. We, quote, ran out of time. Jim. Time's up, pal. It's it, it's it's over. And I don't care if the Canucks even make the playoffs next year. They're, that's a that it's a total disaster over there with it with the cap. Canucks fans know what I'm not telling Canucks fans anything they don't know. They need a new GM. And I if if I was running a team, I would absolutely take Jim Benning on as the head of my scouting staff. He's spectacular at drafts. Good for you. But when you have a guy who's not good, doesn't realize he's not good, then he can't address the issues that he's not good at. Jim Benning does not know that he is not good. If you do not know what you do not know, you're fucked. And he has surrounded himself by Pete with people who are not stopping him. That's so, what your advisors are there to do. Stop me from being dumb. And so I'm looking at their draft record. There's some players. There's some players. But from, let's say, 2015 onward, it reeks of Buffalo, where the first pick is great because it's really hard to screw up your first pick year after year after year. But in the later rounds, it's there's just nothing. 2015, fifth round to get Adam Gaudet. Well, he's gone. Uh, Ole Levy from 2016. That's looking tough. 2017, you get Pedersen. And you get seven games, one game, two games, eight games from these guys. 2018, your first picks played 129 games in in Quinn Hughes. The other guys, like, they still have time to develop. 
for sure. Vasily Podkolskin, uh, Podkolzin, sorry, hasn't come over from Russia just yet. I, I just, I don't get why this guy's got so much leash. Yep. I don't get it. He's really he's got a good relationship with the owner. That's why. It's like why anybody gets leash when they haven't hey, performed. Listen, if I'm the owner and my team's doing poorly, you don't have a good relationship with me. Well, there you go. And we'll leave it at that. Can we close out the show by sending love to all of our Muslim brothers and sisters out there? Mm-hmm. Um, I know like a dear friend of ours, Faisal Kamisa, was pouring his heart out on Twitter yesterday. And I feel like he represented so many people who are just having a, such a difficult time. Like it's a really uh, eye-opening what the news is happening in, in Canada right now. And like all we can do is just send love and help and support. Um, there's plenty of resources online. We'll retweet them as much as we can just to amplify those voices who are trying to get help to the Muslim community. And yeah, just sending all our love to London. I'm, and if, if I, oh, go ahead, Steve, go ahead. Uh, Nasiha.org. Uh, we'll, we'll put a link in the description. This is what uh, Faisal was uh, shouting out uh, yesterday. Like you said, Jesse, just pouring his heart out. Like I, I can't, I can't, like you, you talk about like um, re-traumatization. You know, I, I just see it. I just see it in Faisal's words. Like he's had to deal with this so many times. It's well, unacceptable. We, we were talking about it, and there was a there was an attack um, that is starting to become public that happened. I think at Ward's Beach, Jesse, uh, over the weekend on the island, yeah. on the island, in the Toronto island. The Toronto uh, island yeah. It was five five men beat a homosexual man to within an inch of his life. And it's just gaining traction. There's word there's a professional athlete involved. The Ottawa Red Blacks are investigating one of their players. Um, and CFL so you, yeah, so the, so the, you know, to the LGBTQ plus community, um, you know, same. And I, I, you know, everything that Jesse said there, I think we would echo again. Um, what, what we were saying in our meeting today is what's shocking, you know, when we work at Virgin radio, it's supposed to be fun and lighthearted and and that's what it is. The amount of hate crimes I've seen in the last two or three years in Canada, not that we were immune to this before we never were, but, uh, it's, it's, there's been an enormous uptick. It's unbelievable. And I don't know where you begin, um, to, to turn this around other than to reinforce, with anybody that's feeling fearful right now, um, you know, if you're in a position like we are, uh, you know, privileged and lucky to be here, um, you know, we send our support and our gratitude and everything that we can do to support, we will, and we will continue to do that. And uh, so anyway, to the, to that community, to the Muslim community, to the Asian community that's seen a rise in hate, um, there, you know, our love and our support and anything we can do in the future, we will. And we'll leave it at that. We will be back Friday. Thanks so much for listening. The Steve Dangle Podcast. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve underscore Dangle, at Adam W-Y-L-D-E, and at Jesse Blake. Connection complete.